in just a couple of weeks, we have a baptism. If you have not yet been baptized and you put your trust in Jesus and you haven't gone public with your faith through baptism, we'd be glad to chat with you about that. All you do is you take your connect card and check next step B, and that starts a series of conversations for us. Hey, if you want to grab out your message notes, they look like this. You can pull those out. They have a baptism mark on the front. But inside, you can follow along with what we're going to talk today. Maybe take some notes and take it home. As Pastor Will said earlier, this is the second week of our symbols message series where we're looking at some diagrams, some symbols of our faith. Baptism is a symbol. Baptism doesn't accomplish anything spiritually, but it recognizes an inward work that's been done. It's an outward sign of an inward work, much like a wedding ring, a wedding band doesn't marry you, but it acknowledges that you've been married. In our Christian faith, there are symbols all around us. One very famous one that you guys, many of you probably have around your neck right now, maybe you have it on a little pin or something on your shirt, is the symbol of the cross. You've seen that before, the symbol of the cross. We celebrate the cross because it was on the cross, victory was won for us. It was on the cross that our Savior Jesus fully conquered death. It was through the cross that God chose to offer grace to us because of the work Jesus did in his death and resurrection. Grace and favor from God is extended to us now. There's no barrier between us receiving what God has. That cross, when you see it, represents so much more than just a vertical stick and a horizontal stick. It represents so much more than that. Today, I want to talk you through a a series of circles. We call them the circles on our core leadership team that I want you to understand because they help direct what we as a church do. If you're our guest today, we're especially glad you're here. Here's why it's a good day to be here because you're going to understand guest or regular attender. You're going to understand some of what we hope to accomplish as a congregation. These symbols of the concentric circles helps us understand and stay on track for what we believe God has called us to do. And my hope is today you'd leave with some understanding, but I hope you'll also leave challenged because we have some important conversations to have. I want to take you back in your Bible a little bit to uh, the Gospels. Those four books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where the story of Jesus and his interactions with disciples begin to take place. One particular day, Jesus had encountered John the Baptist. Now, John wasn't a Baptist, all right? That's not how that began. John was a baptizer. He liked to baptize people, all right? And so John the Baptizer. And Jesus went down to John. Jesus got baptized by John as a sign that he was fully submitted and willing to follow the plan that God had for him. And when John saw Jesus coming to him, he looked at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. John said, I'm not even worthy to latch his sandals. He should be baptizing me, John said. But Jesus looked at John and said, I want you to baptize me. And when that happened, God showed his great favor on Jesus. The Bible says that the sky opened up and a white dove comes down. It's a very picturesque moment. And God says these amazing words. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's a turning point in the story of Jesus. It's a turning point because at that point from the baptism forward, Jesus is fully on his mission to give his life on a cross. And it's a turning point because at this point forward, Jesus is going to begin to call some disciples, some followers, some learners, 
some disciplined students. That's what disciple is. It's a learner. It's a follower. It's a disciplined student. Jesus is going to call disciples to follow him. Today, I'm going to walk you through a series of how God still calls people. Jesus still calls people to follow him. I'm going to walk you through a series of calls that God gives to every follower. A series of calls. And as we do it, I would like for you, if you don't mind, to take a little inventory. So I told you the story about Jesus getting baptized. And right as he walks away from the water, the Bible says that he encounters two brothers, Andrew and John. And Jesus looks at them and has a conversation. And they say to Jesus at one point, you can read this in your Bible. They say to Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus looks at them and he says, come and see. In fact, your first blank, some of the first words of Jesus to his disciples, to his followers, are these words here. Come and see. Come and see. Hey, where are you going? Well, come take a look. Come take a look. Now, you can't ask for an easier level of commitment than that. What are you about? Where are you going? Well, you want to know where I'm going? Just come take a look. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to believe anything. Just come and see. Take a look at what we're doing. And when we think about the process of making disciples, of how Jesus takes ordinary people who put their faith in him and transforms them into mature and growing disciples, when you think about that process, what you have to understand is that Jesus starts on the lowest rung. I've shared this example so much, I'm almost embarrassed to do it again, but I'm going to because I don't have a thousand of them, all right? So here we go. Maybe when I'm 60, I'll have more examples. And I'm nowhere near 60 in case you're wondering, all right? So years ago, uh, my sons wanted a kind of a play fort in the, in the, in the trees, in, our, in the woods in our house. And so we went to Lowe's and we bought all the stuff and I kind of enjoyed doing that stuff anyway when I have time. And so we put together a fort and um, used my extension ladder to get up and down. It was awesome. And we get the fort about done and it's time to build the permanent ladder for the tree. And so the boys and I are working on some stuff and we kind of erect one and we're going to come back later and we're going to make it a little bit better. And we kind of erect a little, a, little, a little ladder there to get up to this, you know, eight, nine foot platform that's up in the trees and... Once we put it up, we realize that the first rung on the steps, the first rung going up to the, is just a little too high off the ground. It's very complicated to get started up into the treehouse because the first rung is so high off the ground. And a little principle in life here. When, when you're wanting somebody to do something that's going to take some time and it's going to begin a process of development that's going to take some effort over time, a little principle is, is you want to put the first step really, really accessible. You want to put the first step really close to the ground because if the whole goal is for people to climb the ladder to get where they need to go, you want to make the first step simple. And that's not just pop psychology, not just good management. It's the way Jesus started the disciple-making process. Jesus started with the words, come and see. Just come take a look. You want to know what I'm about? Come investigate it. You don't have to agree with me yet. You don't have to listen with open heart. And when I speak, you immediately obey. All you have to do is come and see. And churches do this sort of thing as well. You have churches all over America who understand the power of come and see. They say to people, we'll take you just as you are. 
No matter where you're beginning from, whether you agree with us or not, whether your behavior aligns with our behavior, you're welcomed in this place. It's similar to Jesus saying to Andrew and John, come and take a look. We look out into our community and we say to everybody, hey, you don't have to agree with us. You don't have to align with us. We don't want your money or your time, but we'd like for you to come and see what we're about and come and hear us talk about a guy that's changed our lives. This is where Jesus began. For those of you in the room that are followers of Jesus, this is where he began with you. He called you and he said, come take a look at my claims. Come take a look at my life. Come take a look at what I have to offer. You don't have to bring anything. It doesn't cost you anything. Just come look at it. Come take a look. But the interesting thing about Jesus, this is where it begins to get very interesting for our conversation, is he doesn't stop there. Jesus doesn't say, take the first step and stop. No, he wants us to go ahead and climb all the way up where he wants us to go. And so what begins with come and see, those are among the first words. Let me share with you some of the last words of Jesus. Some of the last words of Jesus to his disciples were, come and die. Come and die. This represents a continuum. Over here, first step, just come and see. Just come and see. You can bring your, your conceptions of me. You can bring your doubt. You can bring your sin. You can bring yourself exactly as you are. Just come and see. But all the way on the other end of the continuum is an incredibly bold offer of Jesus. Radically different in nature than come and see. He looks at that same group that he had said to them three and a half years earlier, come and see. And he looks them in the eye and he says, whoever really wants to follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross. You're going to have to pick up your cross. And today that cross represents hope to us, doesn't it? That cross represents a symbol of our faith. But back in Jesus' day, that would have been, that would have been like Jesus saying, if you want to follow me, go ahead and pick up an electric chair. It was a symbol of execution. It was an invitation not to come see. It was an invitation to come and die. Now, there's a gap, friends, between come and see and come and die. It's a process by which God grows his disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room today, no matter where you began, let me make it clear where he's taking you. He's taking you to the phrase where he would look at you in the eyes and say, if you really want to follow me, pick up your cross and start walking. In between those kind of polar extremes, though, there's a handful of statements where over three and a half years, Jesus ratcheted up the level of commitment, ratcheted up the level of invitation that he offered his disciples. The disciples, the third blank for us, were called to greater and greater levels of commitment. Greater and greater levels of commitment. Follow these words of Jesus. They start with come and see, but in John chapter 8, he looks at his followers and he says, if you want to follow me, you have to obey my words. Start with come and see, but over time he makes it clear it's more than seeing. It's more than sitting around watching. You have to begin to obey my words if you want to follow me. A little bit later on in John chapter 13, he looks at these same followers that he had said, come and see to, that he had said, obey my words to. And he looks at them and he says, I got to give you another level of commitment that I'm calling you to. 
Take another step up the ladder, he says, and love each other in John chapter 13. He had been watching the way they interacted, and there were some gaps in where they needed to be and where they actually were. And he looked at them and he said, I want you to love one another. Come and see, obey my words, love each other. But in John chapter 15, he looks at his followers and he says, if you're my followers, you will bear much fruit. Come and see, obey my words, love each other and bear much fruit. In over three and a half years, he takes them on a development cycle where it begins on the lowest levels of the ladder but he's trying to get them to the platform, to the thing he had for them all along. It wasn't the process alone. It's that he wanted them to grow. And it ended with him looking at them and saying, come and die. At one point, this very awkward story in your Bible. If you haven't read it, you can take a look at it. And John, Jesus looks at his followers and he says, you want to know how hard it is? If you want to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. That just sounds strange. And the Bible says after that, many people who were following him turned around and didn't follow him anymore. As the language ratcheted up, as they climbed the ladder, fewer and fewer people were following Jesus. What happens to disciples? What does God want disciples to do? Well, what he wants them to do is he wants them to continue to grow. We can talk about ladders or we can use the circles. Would you look with me at your seat or perhaps up on the screen if you don't want to follow along in your sermon notes and you'll see these concentric circles. Let me just briefly explain them to you. You don't have to understand all the intricacies, but the staff, the leadership team and I use these to understand how it is we are fulfilling our call as a church to provide families in North Cincinnati their best opportunity to become fully developing followers of Jesus. If you don't like our mission statement, let me just put it to you in black and white Bible language. This is how we think about how we help people become disciples, how we help people move from come and see to come and die level disciples, to give all of your life, nothing holding back, all of it over to the Lord. It's a process of growth. And these circles help us understand it. So for instance, the community, that represents all the people that live within about a 15-minute drive cycle of here. Now, we know people come further than that. But our primary, our primary ministry environment is about 145,000 people that live within 15 minutes of this place. That's the community. And we look at the community and we say to them what Jesus said to his first followers in his first words. Hey, community, why don't you come take a look and see what we're all about? When you do, you don't have to do anything. We will love you just as you are. We will take you. In fact, we've put a slogan around it for us that kind of embodies what our value is for the community. We just want to have real love now. We offer real love now. You don't have to believe what we believe. You can come. You don't have to sing the songs. You don't have to give in the offering. You don't have to serve around here. You can just come and be a part and investigate for a while. And a lot of people do. And in a few weeks, it's going to be Easter. And I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, this is a great opportunity for you to look at the community around you and say to your friends, Hey, come and see. Now, you don't have to use that phrase. It won't make sense to them. We're going to use a different phrase. We're going to use a phrase that goes like this. Hey, would you sit with me? Would you sit with me on Easter? 
And you're not going to try to get them cleaned up. You're not going to try to make them look all Christian. You're not going to teach them 12 Bible passages before they come to church. You're just going to look at them and say, hey, come and see. Come and see. Your kids will love it. Message will hopefully connect with you. You know, we typically do that. The music is pretty enjoyable and the quality's good and some of the friendliest people you're ever going to meet. Just come and see. That's what we say to the community. But that's not all we want for them. We want to take this community and we want to gather a crowd. Now, this is where I might step on a couple toes. So tune in really good so that if you're going to write me an email, you don't misquote me, all right? So we want to attract a crowd in this place. Now, I'm not interested just in numbers, but I want a lot of people coming and seeing Jesus lived through this place. I want a lot of people doing that. And so four times a year, Christmas Eve Eve and Easter, at our anniversary and early in the year, we say to folks, hey, would you invite your friends? And would you help us turn some of the community into a crowd in this place? And in that crowd, guess what we're going to do? We're going to worship God together. Even people who don't believe in Jesus, they're going to be around a bunch of people that do, and they're going to hear and see people talking with hope-filled words, singing about a God who cares when nobody else does a God who is dependable and faithful, a God who shatters fear and brings life back to dead things. But they can't hear it, the Bible says, unless somebody tells them. So we ask you to invest in inviting people and bring them here and turn our community into a bit of a crowd here in this place. But that's not our goal. That's not our goal. That's why we don't do it every week. Our goal is not a crowd, although we want one. That's not our goal. That's just another step on the ladder. Our goal is to turn a crowd into a congregation. Now, there's about 145,000 people within 15 minutes of this place. But the crowd of Four Corners Church, if you want to write this number down, the number of people who are associated with us is about 1,200 people. I meet people sometimes in the community, and because our church is larger, I don't know who they are. And they'll say, I go to your church. And I'll say, oh, it's so good to see you. And I walk away going, I've never seen you before in my life. It's just we're big. I don't know. And they don't come every week. When we started our church, people attended about three out of four Sundays. Now, if you're doing four out of four, that's not permission. It doesn't go backwards, all right? But the statistics today are the average person who calls a church home, if they attend once a month, it's their home church. And we're glad for them to do it. But that's the crowd. That's the crowd. And we love the crowd. We don't ask anything of the crowd. We say to them, if you only want to come Christmas and Easter, come on, Christmas and Easter, we'll take you. And when you come, we won't make fun of you. And I'm not, now I'll make fun of you the week before, but I won't make fun of you to your face. It's a little joke there. Come Christmas and Easter, we'll take you. You only, you only call on us when you need something. It's fine. Do it. We're glad. That's the crowd. But we don't just want a crowd. We want a congregation. Part of our job in this church and part of what we're hoping you have happen to you is that you stop being just a member of the community and you become a part of our crowd. And you quit being just a part of the crowd, but you actually become a congregation. How do you turn a crowd into a congregation? Well, you move them from come and see and you begin to talk about things like committing your life to Jesus. And you ask people to make a decision. Will you commit your life to following Jesus? And as they make commitments, they start climbing that ladder. They start moving through the circles. That's how discipleship always has happened. 
Somebody looks at somebody else and says, I think God would be pleased if you would read his word, pray more, join a small group, obey his word, love one another. And when those words are spoken, a follower of Jesus who haven't, hasn't yet quite taken that step of commitment goes, I hear God in those words. I feel compelled by God's spirit to take that step. And they do. And when they make that commitment and they start to lean in, guess what happens? They begin to grow. You grow through the commitments you make. Some of you made a commitment after high school to go to college and you fulfilled that commitment. And in that commitment, it wasn't the commitment alone, but the commitment began to open the door for your growth and development. Some of you committed to take a new job, a new opportunity, and it was beyond your natural skill set, but you committed to do it. And so you began to grow into the job that you took. Many of you in this room committed to marriage and you weren't ready for marriage. Good Lord. Who's ready for marriage? I'm, I'm 28 years and I'm not ready for marriage. But I took that commitment and it calls me into levels of growth and maturity. And we have a crowd of about 1,200 people, but our church has a congregation of about six to 700 who really form the congregation of this place. Now, here's where I don't want to step on your toes, just clarity. I know that on a given, any given Sunday and an Easter when we have, you know, hopefully over 1,000 folks here, tends to be about what happens. I know not all of them is our congregation. So how do you turn a congregation into a crowd on a day like Easter? Well, you preach Jesus. And you ask disciples who are further along to step up and create a warm and welcoming environment for the community. And you preach the word of God and you call disciples who maybe aren't on a growth path to take a step in their right direction. And you begin to move a crowd into a congregation. So that's about six to 700 people here. Lately, we've bumped over 700 several times on a given average Sunday morning headcount. But you know this, in every large group, there's a group of people who really get it. And like they're making the thing run. For us, that's the next circle here. That's the deeply committed. These are the people who really we were celebrating today when we called Seven Oaks Farm up here. These are the people who give in the offering and who pray for their leaders and who serve in ministries and they show up and, you know, change their alarm clocks on a cold winter morning when it would have been so nice to sleep in and they haul out street signs to show where the parking is and they make sure that the toilet paper is changed in the bathrooms because you don't want a member of the crowd coming in and not having any toilet paper, God forbid. That'd be really bad. And so the committed make sure things happen. And in our church... We have a committed group of about 200 people who in one form or another has gone and said, I don't just want to be a part of this church. I want to help make it happen. I'm a part of moving the mission and the vision forward. That's a really good number for us. And why do they do that? It's not because we're awesome. It's because they heard at some point God through some person stirring them to take one more step up the ladder, one more movement into the core. In fact, that's our last point here. There's a core of people beyond the 200, maybe 50 to 70 folks, who are just like rock stars around this place. 
And they are above and beyond. They follow that principle of the 80-20. Some of you who do business leadership stuff understand that 20% of the people tend to carry 80% of the load. Interestingly enough, in our church, about 20% of the people in our church give about 80% of the income. About 20% of the people in our church do about 80% of the work. And these are the core. These are our volunteers who show up week in, week out. Why do they do that? Because at some point, there was a word, there was a prayer, something was spoken, and they felt God calling them, as it, almost as if Jesus was looking at them and saying like he did to his disciples, obey my word, love one another. And he's moving them along a path of development. And this is actually the path that God wants for you to grow on. It's the path he intends for you to grow on. If you today are a member of our community and you've stepped into our crowd, you're in the right place. But in total candor, that's not ultimately what God wants for you. He wants you to find your role, your mission in this world. And hopefully, we hope that our church can help facilitate that. And for many of us, our mission is tied to this place. But he doesn't want you just to be a part of a crowd. And he doesn't want you just to sit in a seat. He's calling you to further levels of growth and development. It's his plan for you. And I wanted to, in the next few minutes, to show you biblically how this works and pragmatically how it benefits a disciple to give in to the growth that God is calling them to. So let's look at the bottom of that first page then. One of the reasons God does this is that he calls churches to grow. He calls churches to grow. He calls churches to grow larger through evangelism larger through evangelism. So this is a $10 word. Evangelism simply means sharing our faith. It means investing and inviting. We'll get to that in a second. But this is what happens when a group of people looks at the community and says, we would like you to come and see. They're doing the work of evangelism. When you invite a friend to come with you on Easter morning, you're doing the work of evangelism. When you look at them and say, would you sit with me at Easter service? And if you know them well, you can use my standard joke. You know, where are you going on Easter? Because you know you have to be at church at Easter, don't you? Because if not, you're the first one the lightning's going to strike, right? You know that? That's kind of my lead-in with people I know. And if I don't know them, I just say, hey, where are you going to church on Easter? Well, nowhere. Hey, well, I'd love you to come and be my guest. That's the work of evangelism. And when that happens, churches, ministries grow larger. Number two, churches grow stronger through worship. Churches grow stronger through worship. You as a follower of Jesus, when you're a part of the crowd and you're lifting your voice and you're singing about an awesome God, your vision of God grows, you're actually growing stronger as a follower of Jesus. Churches grow warmer through fellowship. We grow warmer through fellowship. These are ways we grow. And so when you participate in getting to know people and you are here long enough and frequently enough to recognize people and people know you by name and maybe you say to somebody, can we grab a lunch? Or maybe you go to a small group and you begin to build relationships. You're growing warmer in your discipleship. I know this, if you don't get a friend eventually, you'll quit hanging around this place. That's okay, you can go to heaven. You can go to heaven, but God wants you to grow in fellowship. He wants your heart to be connected to other people. Number four, Churches grow deeper through the process of growth or discipleship. It's more than learning, but it includes learning. 
This is when a congregation really begins to commit. And churches grow broader through ministry. That's our last point, through serving one another. God wants you ultimately not to just sit. He wants you to serve. He wants you to move from come and see to come and die. This is what his heart is for you. Now I'm going to show you in two very important passages the biblical basis for all that we've just talked about. So would you follow along with me the great commandment and the great commission? In the Bible, there are two parts of the Bible that get the word great attached to them. One is in Matthew chapter 22. It's the great commandment. Let me set it up for you. Somebody came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? That's where we get the phrase from. And this is the kind of conversation Jesus had all the time. People would come to him and say, show me some spiritual knowledge. Give me some insight. And since Jesus was a rabbi and a great teacher, they would come to him and then they would ask a question and he would respond. And Jesus gave some words that maybe you've heard before. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, let's fill in the blanks. Uh, the word worship there for us, let me tell you what worship does. It fits with this commandment. Worship is bigger God, smaller me. That's our blank there. Bigger God and smaller me. And it comes right from Jesus' words in Matthew 22. There's a handful of blanks there on the second page right near the top. Here they are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love the Lord your God. When Jesus gave those words, he was inviting people to give all of their affection, all of their thought, all of their commitment over to God. In acknowledgement that he's amazing and awesome and powerful, full of grace and mercy and faithful. There's no turning in him. There's no shadow in him. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. He is the father of lights. He's amazing. And when you begin to see God that way, it begins to open your eyes to who he is and it helps you see who you are. One of the reasons why I want you singing along with us, if you can't sing, that's fine. I can't either. We'll turn the music up just slightly so we can't hear you. It's fine. But when you sing about an awesome God, you're basically declaring how amazing he is, but it also helps you right-size who you are. It helps you right-size your problems. When you begin to sing how amazing and great God is, it helps you see how those big problems in front of you, they still pale in comparison to the greatness of God. It's not that your problems aren't big, they may be. It's that God is bigger and worship is the vehicle, it's the growth, it's the commitment that God calls us to to help us to see who he is and who we are. Worship is one of the primary antidotes to ego, that negative ego. It's an antidote to pride. You can't sing heartfeltly about an awesome and great God and deep down be harboring how awesome and great you are. There's a conflict that happens. God begins to turn and soften your heart. That's why I want every follower of Jesus in this place, every member of our core, every member of our committed, every member of our congregation to regularly join together and sing and talk about the greatness of God. Sometimes we have what I'll call serving junkies. They love to serve 
And they're outreach-oriented, and they just want to serve one more person, and that's awesome. That's part of their call. It's the way God made them. We don't want to change that. But they have to balance that. They have to balance that with something like worship. Because it's real easy if you're serving all the time to begin to think, oh, my gosh, this is so hard. And I'm so put out. They so need me, and I can't afford to take a break. But when you worship God with an open heart, you begin to see a different perspective, even about him and the serving opportunities he gives you. Worship keeps our hearts soft before God. Let's talk about the next big thing that we're called to do. Ministry. Ministry. Ministry is my serving team. It's the group of people I work with. It's the group of people that I partner with. This morning, I sat, uh, or I stood in a little small circle of our greeting team, one of the best teams we have in this church. And they carry our forward, of, uh, our value of real love now incredibly. And they make people feel welcome, and they hold the doors open, and they make coffee, and they check the bathroom, and they make sure the trash isn't overflowing, and they make sure the signage is good, and they make sure they look people in the eyes and say effectively, we're glad you're here. And they don't just do those things. They do it as a team. It's bigger than any one person. The day we discovered one of our team members had a birthday and he's getting very old and he's starting to look it. He knows who he is. And we just, in small ways, get together like last week and went bowling and, you know, made fun of people when they did poorly and celebrated when they did well and ate junk food and talked about life. And we're doing things together, but it's a team. It's a serving environment. In worship, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart. But in ministry, it's love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God's doing there. That's the biblical basis, basis for ministry. Love your neighbor as yourself. Get outside of yourself and press and serve. And I mentioned we have serving junkies, but sometimes we have worship junkies. And they just want to get their worship on. And that's good. That's part of the way God made them. There's nothing wrong with that. They love, they want to go to the next concert. They want to go to the next event. And they love it when the music is good. When their favorite song comes on, they connect with God. And that's awesome. But worship alone is not what we're called to do. We're called to take a step towards serving as well. And these kind of five things we're talking about, God gives us a balanced approach to growth. So as we're going through them now, how is your worshiping these days? Like, do you come together often enough? Not for me. Listen, I don't need it. There was a day I did. There was a day my ego needed you to be here. I'm not there anymore. But for you, how is your worshiping? Is your vision of God big enough? Or is life bigger? If so, let me give you some insight as a disciple. Worship helps you right-size God. And how is your serving? Do you have a team of people that you are joining hands with saying, let's go serve and love our neighbor together? It's a powerful vehicle of growth for you. And if you're stuck in your spiritual journey, it could be that you need to turn up the temperature on worship. It could be that you need to turn up the temperature on serving and get on a team or you might want to look at the next three. They come to us not from the great commandment, but from the great commission. The great commission is found in all four of the gospels, all four of the stories of Jesus. They all end with these words. The book of Acts opens with the same words. 
And there Jesus' last will and testament for his followers. He's about to go to heaven and he's going to give us his final thoughts. And they become our marching orders. The great commandment tells us how to look at God and look at others. And the great commission tells us what to do with all of that. So the great commission includes three big values, three big growth opportunities for every disciple. The first one I've mentioned briefly is evangelism. And for our purposes right now, evangelism right now in this season of our church simply means come sit with me. Come move out of the community and into the crowd a little bit. And hang out with me and you don't have to be alone and you don't have to walk in and find a seat and I'll show you around and help you get your kids settled. Just come sit with me on Easter. And where do I pick this up from biblically? It comes from Matthew chapter 28. When the Bible says to every follower of Jesus, every follower of Jesus, go and, here's our blanks, make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples. This is beginning that process of taking people from come and see to come and die. It's turning part of the community who baby drives by and sees our bright green sign and asking them to come be a part of our crowd. Go and make disciples. It's interesting, by the way, followers of Jesus in the room. This is interesting. The Great Commission does not call us to be disciples. The Great Commission calls disciples to make disciples. It's a big distinction. Yeah, you're called to be a disciple, but disciples by nature are called to make disciples. So one of the proofs of maturity in a disciple isn't simply what they know. That's one proof. But it's are they committed to making disciples? Big difference. So go and make disciples. Our next value, our next growth opportunity is fellowship. And fellowship, we're using this phrase as a simple understanding today. Fellowship is my church family. Do you look at this place and think of it as a church family? Now, if you've just moved from the community into the crowd and it's not quite a congregation, this may be foreign to you. But let me tell you the sweet spot of discipleship for me. It's when there's a group of brothers around me and there's encouragement and there's laughter and there's you know, the healthy amount of poking fun. But then there's scripture and there's prayer and there's encouragement and there's challenge. And we begin to operate like a family. And when I have a need, they step up. And when they have a need, I'm glad to meet it because it's family. And in our world of portable churches, and I don't mean churches where you set up and tear down. I mean where you can literally just move from church to church to church. Our world where as long as the content is good or the music is good, that's as far in as you go. Let me tell you what you miss. You miss the idea of church family. And you will grow better as a disciple if you have a church family. When you move out of the crowd into the congregation, it's a big deal when that happens. There are people in this church that for the last 14 years, even before we started, they've been a part of our lives. They've watched my kids grow up. One of the first meetings we ever had before we ever held a church, this couple showed up and they sat through the little information meeting. At the end of it, he said, I want to talk with you. And I said, okay, here we go. 
I'm a pastor. I know how this stuff goes. I said something wrong. I know, I know this goes. It's fine. It's good. And in those days, I, you know, just, it's good. It's good. So he and his wife, they sit down in the room there, and we're having this little meeting, and he says, we're in. We're going to help you do this. Like, we weren't even holding services. We're going to help you do this. And I thought, all right, here we go. It's right. coming. He's buttering me up. It's coming. And then he says, and I'm not kidding. We're really committed. We really feel like God wants us to be here. And then he starts saying phrases like this, and we want to watch your kids grow up. I had four kids. My youngest son, John Ryan, was a little baby when we started, and he was the kid you could hear crying over every other kid. When the workers who were watching the babies would walk out, I knew which one was holding John Ryan because there was vomit all down their back every week. That was my son. I knew it. And this man looks at me and he says, we're going to watch your kids grow up. And your family's going to be our family. And, we and my heart started to turn from cautious to excited. When church goes well, it's like a family. And your family is screwed up and sometimes churches are screwed up, but it's still family. And you'll cut off your growth as a disciple if you're not a part of a church family. God calls us not to just come and see or come and worship or get our serving on, all those certain parts of it. But he calls us to be connected in relationship. And I just got to remind you, relationships are incredibly messy. Fellowship comes to us from the Great Commission through this phrase, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, even in churches today, baptism is seen as an identity marker. I'm with Christ, but I'm also with all of you. So when people get baptized here, we're celebrating them. They're not joining our church, so we don't have a formal membership yet. That's coming. I'll tell you about that in a second. But they're saying, I'm with you. I want you to celebrate my growth. I'm part of your family. I'm part of God's family, but I'm part of yours as well. And so we have to grow through worship. We grow through serving. We grow through evangelizing. We grow through fellowship. And we grow through the pure and simple word of discipleship. And let me give you a working definition for this word. It's knowing and doing God's will. Knowing and doing God's will. So it implies a certain amount of knowledge. You have to understand. You have to have a basic amount of knowledge. But it's not just knowledge. It's actually obedience to what you know. So in the Great Commission, the phrase that we're rallying around for discipleship is this phrase, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is discipleship. It's not just knowledge. Knowledge for the purpose of knowing God more, yes. Knowledge to know more, no. Knowledge to know and follow God more, yes. Knowledge to obey more, yes. And when you're not on a growth to discover God through his word more, you're not in a growth process, you're actually hindering your growth as a disciple. If it's been a long time since you've cracked the Bible, either in a small group or with yourself, and you just said, God, show me you, teach me you, show me your word, show me your character, I know what's happening to you. You're hindering your growth as a disciple. So God gives us these five ways to grow. And it becomes a process through which we want to walk people. So to the community, we say to them, hey, come worship. Come watch. Come see. Come hear and, and, and watch others celebrate an amazing God who's changed our lives. Come be a part of our crowd. And to our crowd, we look at them and we say, hey, go ahead and make that commitment to Jesus. 
Take that step of faith. We call it next step A. Commit my life to Jesus and move from the crowd into the congregation. Connect with us. Begin to see this as your church family. We just want to move people from come and see to come and give your entire life over to God. This is what God wants for you. He wants you to grow. And we as a church are deeply committed to helping make that happen. So on March 26th, we're having a core rally. And at that core rally, those that call this church home, your church family, you're part of our core. That is anybody that serves or gives here. In fact, it's an open meeting for anybody that wants to come. I'm going to talk with you about a turn our church is taking towards a formal church membership. We've never had that before. Well, we did, and I'll talk to you about that, and it didn't go very far. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually give people a chance to say, hey, this is my church family. So we're going to give you a chance to go through a couple of classes and learn about that, and we're going to look at each other and say, do we want to make these kinds of commitments? And so many of you are already doing all that we're going to talk about. You're going to go, yeah, no, duh, I'm already doing it, check. And we're going to go, yep, you were, you, you effectively were a member. And if you want to know about that, March 26th, Sunday morning is baptism service, but Sunday night is our core rally meeting. And in a few minutes, when we take some steps, you'll check the box, you'll get all the information. And while we're not offering childcare, we do childcare reimbursement. And that meeting is open to anybody age 13 and older. If you have younger kids for this meeting, please don't bring them. We have a lot to talk about, and we don't need the distraction of younger kids. And I know yours are great, they never make a disturbance. I know. But just in case, let me pay you for a babysitter. And if they're over 13, go ahead and come. We'll be in this room. And I want to share with you why we're moving towards a formal membership. And it's not about numbers on a chart somewhere. It's about growing spiritually together. And I want to connect those dots with you and look at the people who've come here and who probably already are members practically and say to them, let's formalize this and let's acknowledge the great thing that God is doing among us. And then we'll take some classes together and won't take very much time, one evening, kind of an extended time, or you can do it over several evenings. And we'll talk about what does it mean to truly be a church family together. And we'll grow through that. And we'll fulfill one of these purposes, the fellowship purpose, where we identify with one another and we say, I'm committed to you and I'm here for your good and I'll do what I can to help you grow. So if you're interested in that thing, you're going to want to take that step. And speaking of steps right now, let's take our last blank here, and then we'll take some steps together. Here's what I'm calling us to. I'm calling us to a great commitment, because a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission is going to bring great growth in your life. That's a lot of great, but I really believe it. A great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will bring a lot of growth to your personal life. And I want you to grow. I want this to be the greatest year of spiritual growth for our church ever. Now, at this point, would you grab out your Connect cards and we'll do a step or two together. So if you've wondered where we're going and what we're doing, you now know the biblical basis for what we're doing and what we're trying to do. But it could be that all this talk for you is just talk because you're not yet in a relationship with Jesus. You're kind of out there in the community and you haven't yet decided to step in and be a part of his life. And I want to give you a chance today to change that and maybe take next step A, which is today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. You don't have to do anything for this, even though I'm going to ask you to take a step. What you're really doing is you're saying, God, you've already done the work for me. 
When Jesus gave his life on a cross, when he was resurrected from an empty tomb, you did the work. So I'm going to, my action will be to trust the work you did. That's my action. I'm going to trust the work you did to secure my relationship to my heavenly father. And if you're ready to do that and admit what the Bible says about you, that you're a sinner in need of a savior and you can't save yourself and no good work you can do will secure that relationship. That's why you have to rely on Jesus. I'm going to ask you to take your pen and check next step A and put this card in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of our service. In a few minutes, we're going to pray together and you can look up to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. Would you save me? Would you wash away my sins and would you lead my life? I want to follow you. I don't want to be a part of the community. I want to step in and be a part of life with you. Or next step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. Again, in two weeks, five today in middle school. If you have questions about that, just check the box and we'll be in touch. The next step C speaks to that evangelism value. It says, I'll invite a friend to sit with me for Easter at 4C. And I'd like you to really invite a friend to sit with you. To say to them, hey, Easter's coming up. You going to church anywhere? Would you come sit with me? We have two services, normal times. Going to be a normal Sunday morning service. Here's why we do that. So that if they show up the next week, it's exactly like the week before. And if they show up the sec- next week, they still get the word and the worship and the fun and all the little things we do. And we want to help them grow. And maybe you're inviting them to sit with you. We'll do that. Next step D says, hey, Ben, would you go ahead and send me that information about membership at 4C? So if you have questions about it, you'll need to wait till after the meeting. I'm not answering any yet. But I'll send you the link and you can come to the meeting and hear everything. And open my questions that night. All right. And the next step, he says, hey, I want to attend the core rally. So if you want to attend, we'll send you that link and I'll send you some information about child care reimbursement. And as a church family, we'll take a step together. Let's pray about these things right now. Father, thank you that you set the bar low for us so that it was accessible, so that we could begin a journey with you. But thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave the bar low. But you call us to ever-increasing levels of commitment. You want our faith to grow. You want us to grow as disciples. And God, I'm grateful that you did that with your followers in the New Testament. And I'm grateful that you still do that today. And Lord, as we as a church are pressing into our growth, I pray that, God, we'd be bold to take the steps we need to take. That we would move forward in the direction you would have us move forward. Whether we need to worship more fellowship more, serve more, step into discipleship more tangibly. God, whatever it is. And I join right now with those that are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. Cover me by your shed blood. I want you to be in charge of my life. And Father, I'll pray it one more time. Would you make this the greatest year of spiritual growth this church has ever seen? God, I am asking that not one person comes through this year without dramatic steps forward in their follower following of you. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.